I don't have a master, so I have many mentors, right? Yeah, tradition has to move forward as the time moves forward too, right? A lot of tattoo artists in Japan, like they quit tattooing around 65. A lot of them start uh, painting for the temple because finally you feel like you are good enough to give your painting to the god. Then the only way to, for me to do is like you know, to be completely true to my passion. My name is Steph Bastian. In my 10 years on the road, I've met many unique characters in the tattoo business, and they all have one thing in common, incredible stories. Stories of past times, personal growth, priceless experience, and of course, bizarre happenings. I want to share those stories with you. This is Tattoo Tales. Hello, Yoshi. It's so cool to meet like just at random, like this in New Zealand. Yeah. So where are you coming from now? So in November, we, we live in Netherlands, in Holland, Rotterdam. We came from Holland to New York. We spent one month in the United States, New York, Texas, New Orleans, Bay Area, and then we spent another month in Hawaii between January, and then we came to New Zealand about three weeks ago. And you were saying, like, you're doing this because for the kids it's... Either well, it's, it it's a little bit of everything, you know, like I'm doing it mainly for us, all of us. So we wanted to travel, of course, but we wanted the kids to give, uh, get an experience. You know, they're really young, so I cannot say like before it's, they're too old, but like when we can. Hmm. Yeah. And you, so you've been living in, in Holland, you were telling me today, mm -hmm. for now how long? Ten years. Working with Hank and... Yeah, originally All the colorful people that go through that. Yes, I did. Right, nice. And how long have you been tattooing for? I've been tattooing since '98, mm. which makes, I think, about 21 or 22 years now. Yeah. And you started where? In Japan. I started in, no, no, no. I started in Seattle. I moved to the United States when I was 18. Okay. So that was '94, and I started tattooing like a few years after that. Ah. Yeah. And then from there you went straight to Holland, or? No, it's a long story, hmm. you know. Um, I tattooed in Seattle from 98 till 2009. So I don't know how many years. That's nine, ten years. Hmm. Yeah. And then uh, 2009, I got called by Hank because he wanted to open a tattoo museum. And he wanted some guys that does different things. How so, did you know him? Well, I started going to Amsterdam since 2004 or five, just by traveling. I met Danny Boy, so I started going there regularly. I didn't meet Hank till 2007 when he opened his shop. So we went for Hank's tattoo shop opening, and that's why I met him. And um, we just kept in touch, and I would go to Amsterdam, and I would walk there for a few days. And uh, we were just friends for like a couple of years. And that's where you met Gordon, which house we're today? Gordon I met um, when... At home? Hmm? 
You said home house or a witch house? No, no, Gordon I met in Hank's shop uh, after I moved to Amsterdam. So I moved to Amsterdam in 2009 because Hank said, we're going to open a tattoo museum and we need guys. So Hank called Danny Boy and Chris Stanley and Dan Dringenberg and he needed somebody who's Japanese. So he called me. So four of us, we all showed up. And that was the team. That, that, that was the young guys to wear the workforce to walk up in the tattoo shop, uh, museum. And I met Gordon probably the same year I moved there because Gordon used to come every year to Amsterdam to work. So I showed up to Amsterdam, started working there, and uh, Gordon came. It's cool because often nowadays, especially justified or not, without getting into too much of that, but you know, tattooing is dead, tattooing is dying, mm. blah blah blah. And then you were saying that no, it's not because it's not this dead. is what yeah. real tattooing is. Yeah, we're somewhere very far away, mm. and then you meet new people yeah. who come on interest, and then things are born. And, and now you gave me the contact of Jimmy Wong, which mm. I want to go interview in Bangkok. Like, how random mm -hmm. is this? And at the same time, it's awesome. I think this old school adventure thing always exists, no matter you know what age you're in or where you live. But, you know, you just have to, like, look for it, you know. Like, I came to New Zealand because I know this is, like, one of the most far places you can go from where I live, you know. So that then you meet somebody who is, you know, crazy or adventurous enough to do so, you know. That, so, of course, that kind of stuff happens. Mm. And uh, so then you went to Amsterdam? Mm. Oh, back to my story. So I moved to Amsterdam because Hank called me. We're going to open a tattoo museum. Actually, Danny Boy called me because I was living in Seattle and uh, I just wanted to get out of there. And Danny said, like, what about Amsterdam? Like, Hank needs somebody. So I was like, why not? You know, so I just jumped in. I showed up and um, took about two years for him to open a museum. So I showed up in 2009, and the museum opened 2011. So in two years, Hank was doing this, like, oh, yeah, this location, that location, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And uh, we all showed up before that, but we got impatient because we all showed up thinking we're going to open a museum. But that took two years. So me, Chris, and Danny Boy, we started traveling around. And... Um, that period was very educational for us because that was us in uh, Europe being like completely free at the same time. We had to survive. You were yeah. traveling together, the three of you? Hmm? You were traveling together? No, no, we are all traveling in different places. Danny Boy was living in Milan. He moved to uh, uh, Amsterdam like shortly after. Chris just showed up. He was still halfway in Sacramento. And I was like full on in like, Amsterdam, but... Um, we're just floating around. So we would like go to like one country, and then somebody will call me like, "Oh, like come to Austria, that's cool." So like we will show up there, it's like a tattoo convention or like some guest spot. So we all meet up, and then we go to Switzerland. So we're just kind of like, you know, doing this. Like somebody goes there, find some cool stuff. Somebody jumps in, we'll make a bunch of money, and then we move to another country, another city, and then you know we're just moving around in Europe, and you know that's what we're doing. Organized, organized chaos. 
Yeah. yeah. Like I said, like, it was like that book uh, On the Road. Yeah. It's the same, like a couple guys with like I- ideas and they're just like jumping around different cities, meeting new people. And then I like, call in like, hey, come over. This, we got some cool stuff going. Like you can make some money or you can have some fun. And we all show up. We'll have some good time, you know. You mentioned that thing. What was mm. the thing again? What? The beatniks. The beatniks. Yeah. yeah, beatniks from the fifties. Yeah. Yeah. Say it so. again. Beatniks. Because I need to Google it. Because you told beatniks me. Beatniks of B E A T N I T K S. Beatniks. Hmm. Yeah, it's a movement from the fifties. That was a little bit before the hippies. Yeah. And what Traveling. is it about again? It's there about traveling uh, free-spirited people who was into experimenting their mind through like whatever, like psychedelics, psychedelics drugs, music, also the Eastern philosophies, mixed thing with like a poetry, like a like a homosexuality, like everything. Like they were the cutting-edge people from um, from the fifties, you know, where. That things want okay, they you know they just took it in, you know. Which is funny because when you get into mm. those things, for example, I read recently what where the original uh, terminology hipster mm-hmm. come from, mm-hmm. and actually hipster was somebody belonging to this specific group of people which were very alternative. Mm. I can't remember the time period exactly, but basically was a hipsters from like 50s or 40s like after World War II kind of world right it's a it's a, I can't remember exactly mm. if it was like that time or maybe the 60s it mm. was a, it's interesting you know people google it because it's this counter movement mm. of these people that are really into jazz but like very nerdy nerdy right. jazz mm. so very into a, it's a very specific teeny tiny niche of, of interest mm. for a certain type of high-level jazz music and then they have a very specific way of wearing mm-hmm. uh, clo- like of clothes they wear and they identify them as this nerdy niche mm-hmm. and then the term is being hijacked by I don't know how we define today's hipster, hipster which is now, a sort of mm-hmm. like everybody knows hipster, you know, mm-hmm. it's sort of like a fashion fashion trend really without any context and it's funny that you can be a proper hipster today but without knowing where that, no, yeah. where that comes from and and without having nothing to do with it. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it's interesting. It's a very, I didn't know that, that where it was coming from. It's this nerdy, jazzy no. counter movement. You know, so it's so, a lot to hear. Beatnik is probably like the kind of a, like the core of that kind of style. Mm. Yeah. And then I guess you met Love in uh, Holland and you stayed. And now you had two beautiful children which I just met. Yes, I did. She's been tattooing for at least last five years. Which is cool because you guys, because sometimes when you travel and y- your partner is not into that, right. it might get a little boring because, you know, you end up in nights like this and all you mm-hmm. talk about is mm-hmm. tattoos, you know? So if she's, I guess it helps if she's yeah, part oh, of yeah, the game, of so to speak, I think, right? yeah, if, I think if your girlfriend's in, in the same world as you are, I think it's the best, mm-hmm. um, especially tattooing. And you, you are, you obviously do Japanese. Mm-hmm. You are telling me that you have done machine and tabori, mm-hmm. and now you're focusing on tabori yeah. exclusively. Yeah? yeah. And you were showing me today that book that you put out because you mm-hmm. have a couple of books out, and 
it's fascinating the fact that one book is about your artwork, which is a mm -hmm. uh, was it 108 house leaves? Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. But the other one is, you want to tell me a little bit about the other one? Horihide's book. Yeah. yeah. So how, how did that happen? What is it? Well, the Horihide is, um, um, needless to say, he's one of the greatest tattoo artists that lived in Japan. Right. I met him, luckily. I've known him for probably like 20 years now. How old is he? He's about, last time I talked to him, last year was, he was 87. So he's 88 or 87 now. He's retired? He has been retired since three, four years, but maybe he tattoos sometimes. So, Because we know. talked about that today, that you guys in Japan usually retire way later than mm. Western tattooers mm. because... Yeah, you like to work till you're seventy something. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So, how did you meet him? Well, he did. I met him in uh, actually I met him in New York at the tattoo convention. Remember the Roland, Roseland tattoo convention. The New York tattoo convention. Yeah. Yeah. So I met him there. I think it was uh, two thousand one or two. He came to New York as a guest tattoo artist convention. And I was just starting up, and I think I was I finished my apprenticeship in two thousand or two thousand one, and that was my one of my first tattoo convention I went, and I met Hori Horihide there. And then you, how did you go from that to the book? Well, nothing really happened that year because I int introduced myself to him, like we talked a little bit. I showed him the tattoos I did. And uh, I don't think I saw him for another probably like 10 years. And then 2010, I went back to Japan with Hank to do a tattoo convention in Tokyo. It's called King of Tattoo. That was from by my friend uh, from Tokyo Haruka Tattoo. Mm -hmm. And Horihide was uh, the main guest. So I met with him and I hung out. And uh, Hank had this idea that he wanted to go visit him. So we went to Gifu, and then we had all these uh, things. And uh, Hank wanted, he wanted to have the exhibit with original painting from Horihide, along with uh, original Sailor Jerry paint uh, flash. So Horihide and uh, Sailor Jerry was a friend. Mm -hmm. So Hank wanted to have uh, an like, exhibition together. And that was supposed to be the main event for the one-year anniversary of the Tattoo Museum. But unfortunately, that happened to be the last day of the Tattoo Museum. So what happened yeah. is we got the Sailor Jerry people to come, bring like original uh, fresh from Sailor Jerry, which it got there in this like a box, like this like, like a really secured box with like locks with like numbers. And then you what open the it up. Who were these people? Huh? Who it was a Sailor Jerry. It's not the Sailor Jerry rum. There's a Sailor Jerry. I think there's like two different people who yeah. owns like Sailor Jerry rights. It's not the Sailor Jerry rum. It's a Sailor Jerry. I think they own the rights for the t-shirts. Okay. I'm not really sure which which people. But so Hank got the. Uh, so they came with a James Bond suitcase with. The yeah, like it was like a box this big, <laughs> with like had like some kind of locks. And you opened up and it was like a case like this, shh, shh, perfectly 
restored Mission and uh, re- yeah, restored and preserved Sergei's flash, and it was amazing because like we put it up on the wall, and we had about I don't know how many like at least like fifteen, and it was on the wall, and you can see almost the condition when he painted because they cleaned that shit up. The paper was like so clean. And you can see, like, they remember the pants gray that mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. painting? It's just, you can see the paint. It was amazing. So it was, so up, it was up in the museum for like a couple of days. And uh, it was impressive to just be able to, like, watch and see what he's done. And uh, the goal was, so there was this huge room that we were doing this. And Horihide was coming from Japan, and he had his original paintings. And we we're gonna do a double exhibit with Horihide and Sarah Jerry because they worked together in the 50s or 60s, right, in Hawaii. And um, so we we're gonna do like this Japan meets West. And that was supposed to be the highlight for the one year anniversary of Tattoo Museum. And we had it all ready, but unfortunately, it happened to be the one year anniversary of uh, Tattoo Museum. December 16, I think, 2011 or 12, happened to be the last day of the Tattoo Museum. The, that was the day that everybody came for the, uh, to celebrate for the Tattoo Museum, but it was the last day that we were open. That's such a crazy... Yeah, and that was the day that my book came out, so I had my book release Damn. at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Intense day. Yeah, I mean, needless to say, yeah. Was course. it a lot of work for, for the book, I guess? Uh, well, yes and no. Well, my friend Tico from Hank's shop showed me how to paint, so I started painting like just one design after another. And I made about like 30, 40 of them in the same style. And then Hank saw it, and Hank said, like, Why don't you make more painting? Like, we make a hundred, we'll make a book. And so I started painting more. So until that pressure came on, like, it wasn't really a pressure. What about the other one? Because you had to, because Orihide, I guess, he doesn't speak English. Mm, not very well, but so you are the main connection with him for mm-hmm. the book thing, mm-hmm. right? So you interviewed him, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Where did you go to Japan? Yeah, I went to his house. I'm so fascinated by these people that have been, you know, doing something like this for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, what's the thing that you bring home with you the most of that interview? Because I haven't seen the book myself. Mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. you get to get into the mind of mm-hmm. somebody like that, and obviously. Apart from the book mm-hmm. and well, whatever you come, you know, mm-hmm. output that becomes, but your own experience, like okay, my life, I did this, I met this person, and I had the chance to kind of mm-hmm. like get closer to him. Like, what, what's, what do you get from that? Well, I, I mean, that's a difficult question, but I think it is, it's it's a lot different from when somebody's telling you a story and like you know listening to it and then like reading a story about it. You know, I think the best thing about doing that is you are actually there and you get to hear the story from this person from his own voice yeah later on like my job is of course to like recreate that moment right like you write it back again like try to like bring out that you know like the story that he wanted to tell by my own words i was with my friend like horishige from uh kisarazu you know he's a very good friend of mine like he was filming and recording and like I was asking and some of the story he would tell us like we were almost like in tears 
because they had like a, so much like a like a drama, the best thing you can do is like try to bring out, you know, as much of like that kind of atmosphere in like a shortest words. Because now you planning into doing another one, again be be the thing in between the publisher mm-hmm. and the artist, yeah. and, and well, this artist happened to be Oriyoshi, right? Yeah, I don't think I will, I'm enjoying the process to be honest because it's a lot of translating or a lot of questioning a lot of interacting but I like the fact that I'm doing this for the history the contribution factor the thing that, that was cool that you were saying before is that mm-hmm. for you the most important thing is that not even that your name gets out there the pride of doing a good job yeah. so if you do a good job and Oriyoshi knows it mm-hmm. that's enough for you Is yes, right? of course. I think it's very important that this will be seen because I believe that this is like the greatest product that come from tattooing. What is it exactly the book about? Like you were talking That's about the scrolls. So everybody knows the Hundred Demon from Horoshi 3, right? And that's the book that that shocked the world, no? You agree? Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. So Absolutely. To me, so if you know Horoshi, you know like it's been many many great books done by Horiyoshi 3 since then like you know 20 30 books that are you know about Horiyoshi's painting and they're all great like don't get me wrong because I'm a huge Horiyoshi fan but this is the first one that is in full color and uh, on the silk very well spent with time you know it's it's a it's not a sketch or it's not a little brush scribble of a, you know like a uh, Calligraphy. This is something that he's been cooking in his head for like last, I would say like 20 years. This is the project that he hasn't shown to the world except in his little exhibition in Tokyo every year. Definitely, you know, definitely a, a legacy. Yeah, and like everybody seeing Horiyoshi as like a origin sketch, Horiyoshi's Book of Dragons and this and that, but this is like something he really, really spent time. And um, I was just like, somebody's got to put this out. It's definitely an honor if, you know, you're part of the process. And oh, then yeah. one day you can look back and be like, okay, I, I, I contributed my little part yeah. to, to that. I guess if I can take credit, you know, like that's, that will be it. You know, yeah, that course. like I actually got somebody to do it, you know, for him, yeah. you know. And you were saying today something pretty interesting that when you were saying that you when you're in a certain age you have a certain kind of output because you have a certain kind of energy which is more like get things done make things happen more violent more more quick more mm-hmm. young and stuff mm-hmm. and then you were saying that you think for example Japanese artists but any artist for that matter get their best work done when they're older that's why as well like Japanese people are mm-hmm. Japanese tattooers work for till they're 70 75 mm-hmm. something because the last part of the career they have a different kind of energy which is more like slow and mature mm-hmm. do you want to explain that again yeah it's, it's a little difficult to explain but I think when you're young especially you're very forward about what you want to do so you're always pushing pushing and you also want people to recognize you you're very hungry and you know like in tattooing or painting or anything like you're always trying to chase something you're trying to achieve So you, you're always forward. And I think it will come to the age, well, I don't know yet because I'm not that age yet, but from what I've seen from the, the older, there will come a place where you are done with that. I don't know if you know you, you're not, you've done enough, 
But you come to the age where like you can kind of just finally rest on your knowledge and your skill, and then you finally take all that stuff together to finally create something that is you. You know, like you can wrap up everything you have, and you're done chasing. You're done trying to get it. You're trying to, you're done fighting. You're more at peace with it. Yeah, and then you finally get to create. Like I think maybe the last ten years of your career, or like a little bit longer, to finally like make something that you always wanted to make. I think that is the goal for an artist to be. The task is to be like sharp and uh, healthy when you get to that age. So like when you become like, I would say like that's the age that you pass 60 to 65 and then you have it till like 70 to 75. If you're very lucky, you'll have it to like 80, 90. Like some people do like Hokusai did, you know, like Horihide probably did also, and Horiyoshi will probably have another 10 years, maybe longer. You know, Horiyoshi is what, like 74? He will probably be good for another, you know, like a decade. It's crazy to think about that. Yeah, but it, that is the masterhood, you know. Such a long journey. Yeah, but like, imagine like how long these people fought to get it. I don't know what it is about Japanese people, but we mature a little bit later i think western tattoo artists you know they mature earlier but at the same time i think they retire a little bit earlier i don't know if this is, has to do with the lifestyle or like uh, their biological or maybe it's just the amount of knowledge they need to get because western artists they are more on creativity side than knowledge side hence japanese artists we need to know the knowledge a lot more than we have to be creative you know, so you get all the knowledge, and that is first, like, 40 years of a... That's insane. You know, you're tattooing. You know, finally you get to be creative, but that's, like, the last 10 years, like, after you reach 60. And then a lot of tattoo artists in Japan, like, they quit tattooing around 65, and a lot of them start uh, painting for the temple, because finally you feel like you are good enough to give your painting to the god, you know. That's crazy. Yeah. It's a beautiful work ethic because it's different, obviously, from what we use in the West. Yeah. It gives you a sense of hope as well. To me, it's like... Instead it's of feeling you're getting old, yeah. you feel like you're getting better, you know? Yeah, and also, like, you have a lot longer span of... Uh, I, don't, I don't have to feel like my career is almost over for, like, what? Like, if I'm 44, so another 30 years, you know, that's a long time to look forward to, Yeah, you know? That's so cool. Mm. And you go back to Japan often? Uh, I go back once or twice a year. Because you're going soon with your family, right? Yes. Nice. So funny the things that you said about your mom <laughs> with the iPad. And you need, when you call, you need to call and say <laughs> that you're going to call so they can answer the other phone. And It's funny, yeah. man. Old school. Yeah, super old school. Mm. And uh, so plans for the future? Like, So you're going mm. to Japan soon? I go to Japan uh, next week, yeah. um, and then come back to Holland. We're going to do the convention in Paris. Oh, nice. I'll see you there. Oh, yeah? Yeah, oh, Cool. Yeah. And Jason? Jason will be there? Yeah, Jason will okay, be there, man. Cool. I, I tried to share a room with him, but it was too late, but yeah. I haven't seen there. Jason since that day that we got a shooting. <laughs> yeah, I asked him about it. Seriously speaking, that one day when we were in Amsterdam and we were in the middle of a shooting. Yeah, yeah. But yeah I will ask him. Yeah, about ask him about it. Yeah, I, was, uh, 
I'm I'm pretty sure he remembers. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, definitely. He can't forget about it. I haven't stories. seen since that. Yeah, that's our plan. You as well. You're all over the place. So, yeah, you're working on this other book you want to do, ish, yeah. which is going to be a long-term project. Yeah, even without saying too much, but it's like a lot of paintings, right? Yeah, my book will not come out for probably under ten years, because I have way more paintings to finish, and it's gonna take a long time. So, and your little one has so much energy that <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my kids gonna cock block me from making paintings. But I, I will, you know, I will keep painting. That's my one of my big projects for sure. You know, and that'll happen like one by one, like. The time my next step is just you know get better at what I'm doing you know mm. do bigger tattoos and uh, just trying to perfect my uh, mastery in in uh, tabori mm. you know just I just want to get good at it you know and hopefully people would like what I do which makes me able to do you know bigger tattoos you know how are how are Dutch customers usually I mean northern people. As customers, they're very. Oh, they're great. They're very, yeah, yeah. very, very, yeah, respectful. I'll say, and 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 strong. You know, they well, take long sessions. Yeah, complain. but it takes time. Like you know, like especially like in the south and Holland, it's a little, little bit different from Amsterdam. It's a very local clientele, so they don't trust you if you're a newcomer. So when I moved to Rotterdam six years ago, like I wasn't doing much tattoos, but like I've been there for like six years now, altogether in Holland, ten years and. Now, like, I have a very good clientele. So, you know, like, these people, like, once they trust you, you know, they will give you their whole body. So I'm starting to get a couple of people who's like, okay, now they're done with the back piece. So let's do the whole bodysuit. So, like, I got a few people like this. So hopefully, you know, that'll kind of, like, Go, you know, yeah, like it's like it's like a like a it's like momentum, you know. Yeah, like chain reaction, you yeah. know. Especially so. the place is small, you know, people talk and all. Yeah, yeah. And uh, now because we've been traveling, meeting people, you know, the Japanese and you know the Europeans. So you, what would you say is the the moment that you learn the most? Is there a moment in your career where you, or, or an experience or a person or something that somebody told you that got stuck in your head and you keep you know, finding beneficial. Is there be like a learning moment or, yeah. Yeah, well, there's so many moments that happened in my life that is significant. I don't have a master, so I have many mentors, right? Like Hank is one of them. Horiyoshi is one of them. I can say, name so many people that influenced me. But one, okay, I have one good story is um, when I just started Tattooing, I started tattooing in Seattle, and uh, that was '98. And I went to New York Tattoo Convention, and I think it was like maybe a second time. I went to New York, probably like 2001 or two, for a convention. And um, uh, Horitsune, you know him from Osaka, Horitsune too. He was a very I know the name, but yeah, he is a. He's retired now. Let me say, is, is the one is in the blue book? Yes. Yes, okay. Uh, the Tattoo Viewer. I had the book, yeah. But the, you know the older book? Anyway, he's... I have he's, that blue book, yeah. I think he's one of the best tattoo artists that didn't tattoo by hand. He used a rotary machine. But he's from the 70s, 80s. Great tattoo artist. And uh, 
his wife came to uh, tattoo convention because his Horitsune's student is Miyazo, you know Miyazo? Miyazo, yeah. So Miyazo came to New York convention, so his Horitsune's wife came along with him. And I met Horitsune's wife uh, through Miyazo. And I was just finishing my apprenticeship. I had my portfolio in my booth. It's just, you know, just some bullshit, some Japanese tattoos, a bunch of, you know, like tribals and, you know, mm-hmm. flash and stuff like this. And she came over to my booth and she looked at my uh, tattoos and uh, she said, she looked at the dragon that I did and she said, oh, you know, you're very good. And she said, she says, uh, I can't wait to see you in 20 years. That must have been like, felt like you won an Oscar or something. Well, no, no, no. It was more like that's when you realize the depths of the knowledge you have to go through. It's not about, oh, like you'll be great next year. It's more like you will be great in 20 years. You know? I love and, it. Uh, it's almost like telling you, you're on the right path, keep working your ass off. Yeah, but also at the same time, it's kind of like saying like you have in 20 years you better be good you know what i mean yeah. so like it's 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 well 20 years ago i think it was like 23 years ago by now so i will i'll be curious to think what she would say you know like i don't i don't even know where she is i think they're in okinawa now but if i ever get to meet her again and like she's my tattoos i would be curious what she would say about it you know it might be worth to take the trip just for that. Well, I would like to visit him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that number 20 would actually, like, becomes your little bit of a, like, a weight. In the Japanese tattooing, there is a lot of tradition, there is a lot of strictness, but your attitude is, obviously, your traditional, but your attitude is, is more relaxed, so to speak. Yeah. Right? You try not to get involved into... Well, because I have a different start from everyone, you know? Like, I... I'm a Japanese tattoo artist, but, you know, like, I moved to America before I started tattooing. So I have a different start from a typical Japanese tattoo artist. And um, I had to have, you know, like, have my own way of being a traditional Japanese tattoo artist. Because one person could say, like, oh, yeah, but you tattooed in America, you know, so you're not traditional. But that's not true because, you know, I'm from Japan, you know, and from the day one I started tattooing, you know, I was doing Japanese tattoos, you know, it's it's in here. So I would do, I can do like a tattoos that are Japanese looking that people would like, but like for everybody else, especially like people who in our community, like like a traditional Japanese tattoo artist to recognize you and respect you as a part of them, you know, it's different. Then the only way to, for me to do it is like you know, to be completely true to my passion, and I make people realize I'm not full of shit. When I started doing tabori, I'm pretty sure like you know some people will be like, oh, like you should do tabori, whatever. But you know like if you do it for ten years, if I do better tabori, smoother shading, blacker black than the guys who are doing the same shit in Japan, then they have to recognize me. You know, we're out here. We are working as hard as 
everybody else. So if our work is as good as those guys, then you have to recognize me. On top of it, we have to uh, show that, uh, that, that we give respect to you know, our art and also try to like, represent ourselves in a worldwide scale, which is a new way of keeping our tradition together. You know. It's funny, it's always like a yeah. balance between tradition and innovation. Yeah. Uh, I was talking with, uh, with Marco Serio once, mm. and uh, he was guesting at the shop where I was at, talking about years ago. And he was telling me something, he was showing something about water and stuff, and he was telling me how, you know, when you went from that, you know, when Oriyoshi started doing things different, the background a bit different, the mm. thing, and then he's like, yeah, if people wouldn't have started doing this, you know, Japanese would be still exactly the same Stuck. as it was in 1800. Mm -hmm. That's why, because people... So it's always innovation in within tradition. Yep. You know, instead of being thinking... Andreas Conan says something like, you know, tradition doesn't mean that you need to worship the ashes, but you need to carry the torch. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. So it's interesting how it's, it's all about that fine line where you're respecting the tradition, you're not just going too far, yeah. but you're putting something new. That's I think interesting. It, yeah, tradition has to move forward as the time moves forward too, right? There's a lot of people who see tradition as, you know, making it the same thing over and over, or some people even goes back in time. You know, you're from 2019 or 2020, but you're trying to do a tattoo from 1950s, you know, and that's not a being traditional, I don't think, you know. Traditional is, I think, trying to represent the time now to pre preserve it for the future later. Because it has changed a lot. The past document already exists. That's what we are going by. So we document ourselves of time now, right? Respecting our tradition. But that's what the people from the later time will see. Mm. If you would have... Um to name a few younger people yeah. that are doing Japanese, mm -hmm. uh, Japanese and non-Japanese, mm -hmm. that, that you like nowadays, no. who would that be? Well, from my point of view, like, um, the most important thing is the technique. You know, of course, everybody is great about for this and this, but for me, you know, who I really respect is who can tattoo, like, the most beautiful tattoo, right? And um, for me, I can name one person is uh, Soshu. He's from uh, Okayama, Japan, like countryside, like a southern part of Japan. He is uh, on uh, Instagram as Soshu Hayashi. Do you know him? I told you, me and names. Yeah, he does <laughs> everything. Yeah, okay. he, so S-O-U-S-Y-U, Soshu. Mm -hmm. his name and uh, he does everything by hand from outline to the shading he comes from a you know like a traditional uh, family lineage in by hand you mean tebori all tebori yeah all tebori and uh, his black is the blackest as black as a black tattoo can be and his gray shading is the soft and smoothest and like just so flattening even, you know. His tattoos, I think, are technique-wise, uh, like, as good as Japanese tattoo can be. 
and uh, yeah, I really, really respect him for that, you know. And also his work ethics, you know, very quiet. He just tattoos. Committed, disciplined. Yeah, yeah. And uh, mm. a known Japanese one? Well, I don't know him personally too well, but I like I really like Shibuya Horiken. I met him a few times. I think his gray shading is the best, you know, the softest, warmest, you know, his styles mixing with like this. He come from Horioka, you know, Horikyo family. I don't know if he likes to say that, but you know, this uh, Osaka style mixed with like a modern Tokyo style tattooing. I think he's at the best. I, as far as I know, I think he's the best tattoo artist of modern time. He also tattoos with only with hands, no machines, outline to the shading. Yeah. So I, you know, maybe my answer can be boring, but you know, those are the kind of people I really respect because you know when it comes to it, it's all about technique, especially you know, with Tabori. Yeah, you know, it's not about. Of course, Ava is doing it for the sake of art and sake of the generation and blah blah blah. I think it, you can say all that stuff, but you know, I'm a I'm a professional. You know, like I I make tattoos. So if I look at something, then I only look at techniques. You know, doesn't matter how good you can draw. Drawing is great; it, it helps, but for me, it, I care more about how clean the tattoo is you know how black the black is how soft the how well executed exactly you know mm. i only look at that you know because drawing can be done by any good artist yeah, you yeah. know you don't have to be a good tattoo artist you don't yeah. have to you just have to be a good artist you can draw drawing is not that difficult you know japanese tattoo especially if we do such a simple uh designs of course, it needs a lot of technique to know how to place everything, but to make a clean tattoo that stands out. Yeah, when you look at it, you're like, you know, damn, Horikyo, you know, his master, you know, the, the, whole, the, the shade of black and white, you know, Horiyoshi also, you know, it's a different style, but... And um, if you could go back somehow mm -hmm. and talk to yourself when you were 16, 18, with the things that you know now and give yourself like a, an advice mm -hmm. what would you tell yourself mm -hmm. 16, 18? yeah like young what would when I tell myself when all this started or even before this started and you could give yourself an advice with the things you know now about tattoos or either or or life uh, you know I probably told myself to just stay in Japan and play music not because I don't want me then to tattoo, but the other part of me is like I gave up music for tattoos. So I always curious about what if my music, not like, you know, I don't want it to be a rock star or anything, but like my, I pushed music, right? And I'm always curious about my music life. So I wanted to see what would have taken me. A friend of mine once told me about tattoos uh -huh. that, you know, you can't have two mistresses. Exactly. You know? You cannot give 50-50, you know. Like, I moved to America. I, I, want, I was gung-ho about, you know, playing punk rock. 
But uh, eventually on the road, I met Tattoo, and, and Tattoo did a lot well, you know. And um, one day I had to choose, and um, I stopped playing music. And I don't think I had a talent, to be honest. So I think it happened for all the good reasons, but I'm always curious about my other life that I didn't take. It's like the movie Sliding Doors, you know? Is that it? I never seen it. It's a movie where basically they show what would happen if a person at a certain time would have chosen the other thing. Yeah, exactly. You know? So yeah. you see at some point like both parallel going together and you see like, you know, in one case they get married, the other one he dies or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's what it is. Like sometimes I feel like that if I didn't move, I moved to America when I was 18 because I wanted something different because I was playing punk rock in Japan, but I wanted to do more. So I moved to America and that kind of got me into tattooing. But if I didn't move to America, like what would I have done? Like would I have still played music or maybe I met tattoos in Japan too because Probably I got attracted to it anyway. You know, I had tattoo, you know, already by then, so. I think sometimes it's just like, one way or another. In Italy, in Italy we say, um, all the roads bring, lead to Rome. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. So it'll take, kind of stream down to the same. You're gonna end up there. Yeah, yeah maybe, yeah. But I'm always curious about that, like what if? didn't move to America. I guess it turned out pretty good. I'm very happy about it, yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. Beautiful family, beautiful job. No. Yushi, thank you very much. Thank you. My pleasure. And uh, I'll see you in Paris yes, with Jason. Paris. Hopefully no more shootings. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Hey everybody. I hope that you enjoyed this nice chat that me and Yushi had a few months back in New Zealand. And I hope that you guys okay considered the circumstances. Uh, we are going through very challenging times, so everybody's trying to deal with this, which is uh, bringing a lot of uh, obstacles. Now, you see, um, I've learned something uh, a few years back when I broke my arm and I had to stay home pretty much in isolation for three months uh, with no income, so having all sort of similar uh, difficulties. If I can say something about those moments is that even if they look very dark and something you might want to feel sorry about, uh, looking into perspective, they have been one of the best experiences that I had in my life because they, in within the challenge, there was a great potential for growth and I've learned that through those times. So I'm trying to share this because hopefully it can help you go through this uh, isolation which can bring you know, a lot of negative thoughts, a lot of uh, bad self-talk, which can bring you even more into a dark hole. Now, that is not necessary. Um, I've seen and I've learned, I'm, I'm a big fan of a Stoic philosophy, and I've learned uh, that we have more power over events than we think, which means thoughts creates perception, perception creates reality. So by choosing carefully the thoughts or the line of thinking that you feed, you can shape your perception of reality. Something negative doesn't have to necessarily be like that. You can always look for an angle on how to turn that adversity into an advantage. When I broke my arm, I realized, okay, there are many things that now I cannot do, and I don't know when I'm gonna be able to do them again. So I thought, okay, what can I do now? Epictetus, an old uh, 
a Greek philosopher, used to say that there are two types of things, things you can control and things you cannot control. Now, if you spend most of your energy on things that you cannot control and you feel sorry about them and you worry about them and you get angry about them, you're just destined to be unhappy because those things are out of your control, which means if you plan a nice event and the weather is shit and the event doesn't take place and you get angry, the weather is not following your plans. So that makes absolutely no sense. Uh, it's okay to feel bummed and, and feel sad. Obviously, those type of feelings and emotions and thoughts will bubble up because that's normal. That's what the brain does. But we are intelligent animals. So we have choice over which thoughts we decide to feed. So obviously, we have those emotions because we're humans, but we can choose which lines of thinking we're going to feed. Uh, Native Americans used to say that we all have two wolves inside, and one represents all the good things, courage, resilience, positivity, help, love, and the other represents all the bad things, fear, anger, jealousy, and all of that. Now, you can only feed one of them at a time. The one that you feed becomes stronger, the other one becomes weaker and eventually dies. Now, which are you going to feed? So you see, you have power over what thoughts you're going to feed. What does that mean? You can either feel sorry for yourself and choose that this situation will make you weaker and bring you down, or you can choose that this situation will bring you up. How, you're going to say. Um, investing that mental energy and that time, and especially that mental focus on something that actually is going to serve you positively. How? What's the best resource you have now? Time. Perfect. Now, use that time in the best way possible, which means invest on yourself, invest on the quality of your life, and invest of your loved ones. Uh, perhaps you might learn something new. Use that time to learn something that you never had time for, a new language, a new skill, cooking, salsa, whatever. Uh, perfect something you already have so you can get better at your job. When I was injured, I could not hold a pencil, so I could not draw. But what I could do, I could watch videos. So I've been studying uh, anatomy. So when actually I was recovering, I went back to work, my drawings were better. I was like, how the fuck? I haven't been drawing in three months. Because I've been absorbing that knowledge. I've been absorbing those concepts. So they were stored then. So I've been able to use them later on. So you see, there is always an angle where you can turn that adversity into an advantage. Take care of your body. Even if you can't go out, you can do a lot of things that perhaps you always found excuses. Oh, I got no time to do. You know, you can do yoga, you can do uh, circuit training, you can do a lot of stuff. You can do Pilates, TRX. Uh, take care of your mind. That's very, very important, which means find the practice the best work for you because not necessarily something works for everybody. So maybe meditation is for you, maybe it's not. So try something that is going to be your place to cultivate that inner peace. So that could be meditation, that could be putting some sorry music and having like 15 minutes where you sit down, lay down and relax. Work on the mind, absorb positive content, watch videos and read and listen to stuff that teach you how to make the most of your faculties. Those positive feelings of gratitude especially because one very important thing is perspective. There are some things that we do give for granted and they shouldn't. We cannot go out, we cannot do many things. Perhaps we have financial problems, yes, but you still have two legs to dance, like my Brazilian friend says. You still have hands 
to do things with. When I was broken, I didn't. You can read, you can think, you have your health, hopefully, if you're not in, in uh, a worse scenario. But you can have a look uh, at a video on my website, which is called A Beautiful Story. And it's the story of once uh, when I met Timo, which uh, was a guy from Holland that was uh, terminally ill with cancer. Now, let me tell you this. I've been blessed to hang out a little bit with this guy. And he was one of the most positive person I ever met. So now, if Timo was able to smile and make jokes, so are you and so am I. So you see, there is a lot of potential where we can move, where we can flow, where we can grow. So you can choose to live in that potential or you can choose to live in a dark place of feeling sorry for yourself and uh, negative self-talk, which is basically self-sabotage. So... I would say, you know, invest your time wisely because after this is going to be over and it will be over, you're going to see the, how did you spend that time? It's like, man, I've learned this. I practiced that. It's been beautiful. I've been playing more with my kids. I've been helping my wife. I've been, you know, talking to my grandpa. I've been doing those Skype calls, you know, I reconnected with some family members. I took that chance perhaps to say the things that I always wanted to and I never did. You know, to make peace with a person that I had a conflict with. You see, there is a lot of potential for growth in here. And uh, the last thing I will say, don't forget to have fun. Be silly. Dance. That's what I do in the morning. I shower and dance. And I look absolutely retarded. <laughs> it's awesome. So, yes, this doesn't have to bring you down. Absolutely not. This time can be turned around. You can find the angle and actually can have a good time while you're at it. Because the situation, it is what it is. At least have a good time, right? And uh, in the end of the day, I mean, who am I? What do I know? I'm just trying to say uh, what I found beneficial when I went through something similar. And I'm applying right now and it's helping me a lot. So hopefully some of these help you as well. On a side note... Remember that, obviously, you like tattoos, otherwise you wouldn't be listening to this. Uh, today we started the Frontline Auction, which is my last uh, charity project where, with the help of 300 artists from 30 countries, some of the very, very best, uh, we have put together this project where we are raising money for frontline workers, which means the people that are fighting closest to this pandemic. Healthcare specialists, doctors, nurses, which... I was talking with people all over the world to, to collect information and a nurse from the States told me that in places like New York, one nurse had to take care of up to 20 terminal patients. So we're trying to help them uh, so that they understand that they're not alone in this fight. We are auctioning from today for a week. You can go on stephbastian.com auction. Artworks from some of the best tattoo artists in the world. We're talking about like... Just to give you names, Tim Hendrix, Juan Puente, Paul Dobleman, Robert Atkinson, Alex Binney. Uh, the list goes on and on. It's 300 people. So you have the chance to bring home something absolutely gorgeous, which is an original. And that money will entirely go to support these people. So win-win, right? So you can have a look on Steph Bastian Presents on Instagram. And then you can join the auction and our collective on sebastian.com slash auction. So, yeah, check it out. Uh, take care of yourself, and uh, hopefully I'm going to see you soon.